We're going to start in like two minutes. I'm going to pass out two papers. One says attendance. You are to write your name on this one. Where it says name. If you are going to take the tests and quizzes, there'll be another one that says quizzes. And you will put your name where it says name. Okay? So if you're not going to take the test and quizzes, just ignore this one. If you are going to take the test and quizzes, put your name on this one and this one. We good? All right. Let's try and do this as quickly as we can. For those, for those who don't know, this year, one of these things is not like the others. You may not know him. His name is Rob Patterson. He's a good friend of Trish and I from years and years past um, in one of our old churches. So please get to know him, say hi to him. His name is Rob. He's a really great guy. Hi, Rob. 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 Hi,
Uh, I back back in Julia, I did it with a ten week apologetic class. Yes. Hey guys, I think there's some seats. We, we all see it. Um, I think there's some seats. Where are some? We can get a couple over here. Over here. Okay. 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 I passed the sheet around, two sheets, one's in attendance, and one is, it says quiz on the top, if you're going to take the quizzes, put your name on that, just so I know. Thanks. So yeah, if you have had this course before, and for any other kind of pre-sub course, please defer, let the others uh, contribute. Um, there will be a lot of class participation each week, starting next week. Uh, we will start each class out with a time of debate, okay? Which I will play one side or another, and I will have you talk and question me. It's going to be, at that time, and through the whole course, open for discussion. If there's questions, things you need to ask, please interject. We'll stop and talk about those things. If it's not a proper time, I'll just say to you, hey, just give me a couple minutes. We'll be back to that in a minute. Okay? But class participation is crucial. If you are actually taking this class as a class, class participation counts as a third of the grade. So you have to participate. Don't feel like it's embarrassing if you say something wrong. You're going to. Okay? That's okay. This is the place for us to do that, to learn how to talk and debate and, and share these things. Make sense? Okay. Um, the syllabus, as you know, in the back of the syllabus, does anybody not have a syllabus? Shame. <laughs> I'll send out uh, another email. If you did not get one, and you haven't got any emails about the apologetics, you see me at the end of the class, and I'll make sure I put your name on the list. Um, at the back of the syllabus, you'll see an outline of all the classes, and under each class it says homework. Those articles are found on the website earlier in the syllabus. If they're not found there, it's something I'm going to hand out during class. For instance, tonight, thinking critically of the handout I'm going to give you. It's not what you find online. So you'll take those handouts, you'll read them between now and next week. Anything I say during the class and anything in the articles is up for, for testing and quizzing the next week. Okay, so everything I share and everything that you read between now and next week is up to be on the quiz. So make sure to do those readings. The goal of the quizzes and the tests is not to mock any of you for failure or to applaud you for doing wonderfully, but to help keep you accountable and to help you to, uh, to make sure you're diligent in your studies. Some of us need that, and that's why we do that. But I will give an award to the top couple grades in the test. You look shocked that I said that. <laughs> um, Okay, any questions about the syllabus? Are we good with the syllabus? Okay, then let us dig in. Each class, by the way, um, I'm gonna try to keep it to an hour each time. Maybe a couple classes, it goes a little bit longer than that, uh, but we're gonna try to keep it to that. Each class is broken up into two sections, okay? This is section one of class one, just an introduction to apologetics. What is apologetics? The word is deceiving because the word makes it sound like we're doing what? Apologizing. We are not apologizing. The word apologetics is from the Greek word. I'll just apologize now for my hand. My handwriting is horrible, sickening, disgusting, make you hate me. Um, I have very bad handwriting, so sorry. Um, so. <laughs> My Greek is worse than my English. It's about the same. Apologia is the Greek word uh, from which we get apologetics. And apologia simply means defense. That's what apologetics is. It's a defense. It's not an apology. We're learning how to defend what we believe. That is bad. That is bad. I apologize. Which one's Greek? <laughs> yeah, I'm very sorry. Um, is it defense spelled with a C? Is what? Defense spelled with a C? Sometimes. Is it the C? Okay. 
Yes. Not in America. So we're not apologizing, we're defending. So let me ask you a question. How has God revealed himself in the world? How has he revealed himself? Creation. Creation. Through his word. What is that? Conscience. Conscience, good. What else? Through nature. Nature. Okay. And in all the things that we're listening, they fall into two categories, the way God revealed himself. And we usually speak of this, and I know many of you know this, as um, general revelation and special revelation. These are the two ways God has revealed himself. General revelation is that revelation of God by which he communicates certain truths to all people at all times in all places. General revelation is to all people at all times in all places. Everybody can see the stars. Everyone has a conscience. All people, all times, all places. Special revelation is that revelation of God that he gives to certain people at certain times in certain places. See the difference? All certain or limited. This is the limited. Not everybody has a Bible. We understand not everybody heard the prophets speak to them. Oh, you see the kind of thing I'm saying? The general and special. Now, God in communicating here in general revelation has shown particular truths that we don't want to skip over. We want to talk about what's in general revelation. We want to take these truths because, listen, God, why did God give these things to people in general revelation? He gave it to them in order to, why? What's that? For his glory? That they would worship him? Let me ask you this. Can you be saved by general revelation? No, of course not. You can't be saved by general revelation. Can you be condemned for general revelation? Yes. yes. You can be condemned, Dagon, for general revelation. You can be condemned for general revelation. So God gave general revelation. Let's think of it in this category. Right? To fit it into what we talk about often in this body, law and gospel. Let's think of general revelation in the context of law. That's how it's law. Sorry. Now, <laughs> you need a teacher's assistant? No. <laughs> You're going to learn. Yeah. You consider nature a general revelation, right? Yes. I consider nature general revelation. Mm -hmm. okay. Law. Now, why am I saying it's law? I'm saying it's law because, as you guys know, when we talk about law and gospel, law is all those parts of God's revelation that's meant to show us our need or convict us to put us in a place in which we should repent. And God's general revelation holds all men accountable and puts them in a place in which they should repent and turn to God. Making sense so far? Questions, comments so far? Okay. Apologetics. By the way, we have to get here. Have to get here. People aren't saved if we don't get here. Have to get there. We're starting here, but we have to get here. What's apologetics? What's it look like? What are we doing? To give you a really bad analogy, a really, I mean, a stupid analogy. <laughs> In a sense, what apologetics is, is preaching, and our text is general revelation. Preaching, and our text is general revelation. Okay? It's a bad analogy. Falls apart all over the place. Let's just think about it for a minute. What we're going to do with an unbeliever is we want to take those general truths that God has given all people and apply it to them in such a way that they see their need. Make sense? We're going to take the general truths and apply them to people such that people would see their need. We know that all men deny the truths revealed to them. We know Romans 1. We know all men are truth suppressors. They have this revelation. They deny it. They push it away. They don't want to admit the truth. That God has revealed to them who he is, what they're obligated to do, they push it away. Our job as apologists is going to be to come in and 
take what God has, has revealed in general revelation. We can use special revelation as well, but we're talking generally general revelation and apply it to people such that we get them to no longer be able to hide from the truth they've been hiding from. That's what we're trying to do. We're going to take general revelation and we're going to use it to show their need help. We're going to apply it to them to get them so they can't hide anymore from the things they've been hiding from. Because they're all hiding. They're all suppressing the truth. They know that there's a God that's in them. They may be at the point where they've suppressed it to the point where they don't believe that they know that a God is there. But it's inside each and every human being. So what, we're all, what, will, all, what will our role be as, evan, as apologists? It won't be evangelism. That's not the same thing. Evangelism is something different. We have to do evangelism. But apologetics is something that we do as kind of a pre-work. And does it save? No. But it does convict if done right. Make it sense. Mm-hmm. Question is logic part of the revelation or is logic is logic part of general revelation? Yes. Absolutely. A foundational truth we will talk about through this entire course is that logic is part of general revelation. Which then begs the question about how in the world is logic like law and how in the world is logic for people in a position that if you showed it to them, it would make them convicted and have to repent. That's what we're going to cover. That's what we're going to cover. That's a, at the heart of what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to call upon mankind to admit what God has already shown them in creation. We're going to do that through general revelation. And as we do that through general revelation, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to reason. going to have to reason with people. Why do we have to reason with people? Why do we have to reason with people? What's the point of that? And is it something that is a biblical purpose? This is going to be difficult for us. I'll explain how it's a difficult approach in This is going to be difficult for us. Because, unfortunately, as Americans, our ability to do this is very small. We're bad at reason. How do I reason? How do I think rational? We're bad at this. And I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest tools you're going to have to take with you to, to approach people to share an apologetic with them. You're going to be able to reason. But we're bad at it. And so are they! It's even harder. And so there's a sense in which the enemy has really handicapped us in this country. He's really stolen a lot of tools away from us because he's left us unable to reason uh, because of our laziness and sin. And the world in general is not good at it. But we're going to have to learn to reason. And as we do that, and as we go through some of the things we're going to go through in this course, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be probably very different than any other approach to apologetics that you've had if you've never been exposed to presuppositional apologetics. You're going to start hearing about things as I move forward down this class, even today, and you're going to think, what in the world does this have to do with me defending the faith? And so you're going to have to be patient these first few weeks. These first few weeks of this course are going to be um, a fog. It's going to be a fog. You're going to get done this first night tonight, you're going to go, I have no idea what we're talking about. I can define a couple things that I was told, but I, I don't know how this all this together. And each week we're going to build on that fog and shine the light a little bit brighter. So listen, you're going to have to be patient and just trust me to go through the process to learn the things we have to learn. It's going to be very different than any way that you've ever approached apologetics. And this is why, by the way, I, you know, I was joking earlier, but I've taught this class a number of times. It's usually a couple weeks in, and the class is half the size. People just go, mm, not going to do it. They don't. They hang in there, and no one's going to condemn you or if you don't, if that, if that's what happens. That's what happens. I mean, obviously, we want you to be here, but um, please think about the fact that even if it's confusing, you need to just stick with it. You'll pick it up as we go forward. 
So we need to reason. Why are we going to reason? Well, we're going to come to the unbeliever. We're going to try to explain to the unbeliever things they've been hiding from themselves. They've been suppressing the truth. We want to show them the truth. Is that biblical? Yes. If you think about it, all through the scriptures, we look at the New Testament, say, and um, Jesus, Paul, the apostles, they reasoned all the time. They used reason. For instance, um, let's, let's look at a, a couple examples. Excuse <coughs> me. Um, so defining reason as um, taking what is already there but making it obscure and drawing it out by some method? I am, I haven't defined it yet, but basically I'll use the common understanding you have of it right now. And that is, by reason, I mean thinking logically with someone to come to some conclusion. Yes, and we're going to do that in a second as well. Yeah, that's that, that, that means you're both, there's some common ground. Well, the word I'm going to use, and, I, and we have to understand this word, there's going to be argumentation. When I say argumentation, I don't mean, you stupid! I mean, logical argumentation is going to have to take place. Okay? So, is this biblical? So, if it's not biblical, why would we even, why would we even bother? Uh, Acts 17, you know, a common example we all, I'm sure, are familiar with. Paul, the Areopagus. It's good to see these things, all the things, all the things of the scripture in front of you, so that you understand what we're talking about. That's biblical. Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, the spirit was provoked. In him, as he saw that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned, see the word? Reason in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons. And then you know the rest of the story as it goes forward is that he reasons then with uh, the Gentiles as well at the Ariath. Same thing in, in 18.4, in 19, chapter 19 of Acts, verse 8 9. Paul reasons with unbelievers for up to two years in one place at one point. Reasons with them, two years. Reasoning is not bad. And I think sometimes we don't understand that reasoning is an important thing to do. But if you're going to argue in the biblical correct sense of the word. Jesus did this as well, though. And if you think about it, I think we don't understand that this is what Jesus is doing a lot in the scriptures. Uh, for instance, in, in, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 25 through 29, you don't need to turn there. It, it, Jesus talks about how a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Think about that argument. A kingdom divided against itself, you understand? It's logical. It's a reasoned argument. He's presenting that to people. And this is what's so interesting about Jesus. He's going to people often who the scriptures say are hard-hearted and don't want to hear. They're, they're blind. They're spiritually blind. But he's reasoning with spiritually blind people. Why? That's what Paul told him to do. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus uses a deductive argument, a brilliant one, to show that God is the God of the living, and so that there is a resurrection. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46, Jesus explains that David called the Messiah Lord, how that is he his son. See all these arguments for reasoning. He's reasoning with people. So, we are going to reason. Does this make sense so far? Biblical? You see Paul does it, you see Jesus does it. They reason. On the same page? Yeah, so would you, would you say that apologetics is a means of evangelism? I would say that apologetics without evangelism is worthless. Okay. So, everything that we do, we want to be a part of seeing and showing Christ. I want to make Christ known. My goal is to lead people to a point where they see Christ. Now, it may be that there are times in which, this is what we're moving into next, that I do apologetics and no one is saved, but I still did a very good work because I publicly defended the truth. And just like if you if you were to stand up and, and share a wall, again, remember, law gospel categories, right? If you were to stand up and share a wall, have you done a bad thing? Well, no. You want to share gospel too, of course, right? But even if you never get to the gospel, because people are saying, oh, I'm, not, I'm not guilty, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. You didn't do something bad in sharing the law. Yeah. Same thing here. As I share, as I reason with someone, and I put them in a position, and, and you can, with what we're going to look at, you can put an unbeliever in a position where they're stuck, and they have, not, they have to admit, 
You're right. Logically, I should believe what you're saying. I should, but I'm not going to. Well, now I put them in a position where their blood's not on my hands. I've revealed something to them, right? The hope is that when they see that, they wake up and they repent. Wow, what have I been doing? And obviously, God would have to do that through the work of the Holy Spirit. But as we go through this whole system of explaining to people that God is revealed in generally revelations, we preach that to them in a sense and reason with them. We have to make sure we keep one thing in the focus of our minds. Turn to turn to First Peter chapter three. This has to be the focus here. First Peter three. If we don't get this right, we make a mess. First Peter three. Verse fourteen. Sorry, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's talking about persecution in context. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense, this is our word apologia, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, yet, brothers and sisters, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is this is my my big concern for those, especially those of you know, the last five years or so, ten years, who have taken presuppositional apologetics, which is the kind of apologetics we're going to look at at the beginning of this one. My concern is that there are many out there, and you can find them on YouTube, and they take this method of presuppositional apologetics, and they do not use it gently, and they do not use it with respect. And it is sickening, and it does not honor God. So, just like, just like the law, Right? Just like, just like the law. It, you don't want to be those people outside uh, a funeral holding up signs about how God sends all gay people to hell, right? Well, the law says, no, no, that's not what we do. The same thing here. Right? We're, gonna, we're going to take something that's very convicting, and you're going to be given tools by which you could, you could when you learn this stuff, you're going to say, you can make people look like a fool. And if you go and you go make people look like a fool, that's not gentleness. And that's not respectful. Okay? So you need to understand how to handle this in a way that's, that's biblical and respectful. And I would even say what your approach should be is how can I help this one that I love see the truth? How can I help them see the truth? And instead of just being confrontational, though we're going to kind of learn in a confrontational way just so we get the basics down. I would encourage you to master this stuff such that if you can sit across the table from somebody, just have a conversation and ask questions and dig in. And instead of just being this guy that's just screaming at people, and that's not what we want. Make sense? So we don't need to be overly confrontational for this approach. That's not the point. The same way with the law. We don't need to be overly confrontational. There's got to be respect. And also, there's got to be a point at which we realize we stop. Acts chapter 19, we can look it up, chapter 19, verse 9. Paul gives us a demonstration of this there. At one point, oh, we can go there. Acts 19. There is a time in which we stop. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Paul uh, says he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. See how long he did it? Three months. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, look what they did, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. See what happened? He withdrew from them. So when he starts to realize there comes a point in which this public forum in which we're talking about these things, this person's speaking evil of the way, it's public, it's defaming Christ. Uh -huh. Okay. I said what I needed. He spent three months, right? He spent some time. We come to the point where nothing's happening. We shut the door and we walk away. That's okay to do. You have to understand in this approach that we're going to take, you are 
again, very much like the law, you're poking at something in someone that they don't want poked at. You're pulling back the curtain in a way they don't want. They want to hide. They are truth suppressors. They want to hide from this, and you're cornering them. And when you corner somebody, you know what kind of responses you're going to get? They might might attack. They might get angry. They're not going to like it. And that's the point. They're not going to like it. You will not be liked unless the Lord's willing to be open someone's eyes by, by doing this. Questions? Everybody understand what apologetics is, why we're going to reason. Make sense? Thoughts or comments? I think when Jacob asked, uh, is apologetics evangelism, mm-hmm. you kept saying this word tool, and that's essentially what apologetics is, is yes. a tool. Yes. And then it's important for us to understand how to use this tool properly. Right? There's a there's a, a way to not use it that actually inhibits your ability to evangelize, and there's a way to use it negatively that also inhibits your ability to evangelize. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And and we can help each other with that, even as we do kind of our mock debates. You can kind of see how that will come out. You'll see when we start doing the mock debates, some of you get angry, some of you want to even get, it would be good to help each other. Because how can we calmly approach this? What if you're talking to someone, what if I'm belligerent, as the atheist says in our debate? What are you going to do? How are you going to handle that? Okay. Second part. <clears throat> going to take a two minute break, I might need to use the bathroom. I'll keep on going, man. Okay. Part two. A hand up for you. Please take one and pass it. Now we start getting into it. Now that the introduction is over, we start digging in. I have to do more writing. I'm sorry. I'm going to define it all for you in one second. We'll talk about that at length. Also, it looks like that, uh, if I'm looking at it right, reason is a beautiful bridge between what is tangible and what is intangible. The unbeliever believes in the tangible, the natural world, you would say. Yeah. I'm going to argue and say to the unbeliever that they believe in the intangible or they can't prove anything about the tangible. Okay. We all have papers yet? Yes. You guys get them up this way, pass it. Any of them have any left over? You guys pass them on out. Thank you. You can use one over here. Anthony, he's going to need a little reason. Yeah, come on. Sure? Yeah, we're good. All right. If we all pressure it, we'll do it. If we all pressure it, we'll do it. Come on, come on, Kelly. You want to get into class and continue? I think what we're doing is actually making it so that you absolutely never sit in the chair. I'm comfortable. 
Okay, here we go. Now we're starting to dig into it. What we need to do is cover, has anybody, has anybody ever had a critical thinking or a logic class? Raise your hand. Couple, okay, good, good, good. So we're going to cover some basics of logic and critical thinking. Again, like I said, because we just, as, as American humans are pretty dumb. So we need to learn some of these things. And obviously the focus will be to put it in a way such that we can relate it to presuppositional apologetics. I know I've said that word many times, we haven't defined it yet, just live with it. We'll get to it. We start with this term, epistemology. If there's going to be one term that really is at the center of all that we're doing, next to reasoning, it's epistemology. What does this weird word mean? Chuck was just asking a question about it, and Chuck, you had said something about it being defined as uh, in short, our belief system. Our belief system. A belief system certainly includes our epistemology. When we talk about epistemology, we can mean one of two things. An epistemology is the way that someone comes to find truth in their world. Epistemology is how someone comes to find truth in their world. Epistemology is how someone comes to know truth. The method they use to find truth. Now, the term also can mean the study of how we come to know truth. Like if you take a class in epistemology, you're studying how people come to know truth. Every human being in the world has an epistemology. Does, does, does the, world, the word make sense? Okay. Everyone has it. Everyone has a means by which they find truth. Everybody. When we engage in apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, what we're going to be digging into is people's epistemology. This is where we're going to spend so much of our time trying to uncover this. Because listen, you probably don't understand it. Most people have no idea what their epistemology is. They don't know how they come to know it. If I stop and ask you, how, do you, how did you come to know you? Do you know your name? Do you know your name? Not rhetorical. Do you know your name? <laughs> how do you know your name? Told me. Is that how you come to know everything you come to know? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where are you right now? What are you Lincoln? How do you know that? GPS. Yes. Is that how you come to know everything you come to know? Google. Google, yes. <laughs> are you handsome or pretty? That's boy. Are you handsome or pretty? I'd say I'm a five. <laughs> I just come to know that. <laughs> Reason. How'd you come to know that? <laughs> See what I'm saying? Logic. What's that? Logic. Logic. I don't know about that. <laughs> Think about this. Do you love your family? Yeah. How do you know that? I give you a six. How do we come to know what we know? That's what epistemology is all about. You have people out there in the world thinking they know things, and they have no idea how they got to know the things they know. You come to know what you know. That's epistemology. It's a very important term. Make sure you understand the definition of it. Remember, these are all building blocks when we say that. So what's epistemology? It's either the study of how we come to know what we know, or it's one's method of finding the truth. I give it to you on your paper. Next, an argument. This is really, really important. Argumentation. An argument is a collection of propositions in which one is asserted as true based on the others. Is that how I wrote it? Is asserted as true by the others. Because, here's a simple way to think of it. Because of these, this. Because of these, this. So an argument. Can anybody think of an argument? Collection of propositions. What was a proposition? Maybe we should find that first. What's a proposition or a premise? A proposition or a premise is just something that a sentence asserts. Canaan asserted he's handsome. Right? Mildly so. Yeah. It was, that's, what, that's what he was asserting. And, and every sentence contains information. It's asserting something is true. It's a Proposition, we use the word proposition and premise, I'll use them interchangeably. Okay? Proposition or premise is what a sentence asserts. It's either false or true. It's not open-ended. So if I said to you, um, are you 
in Mantua, that's not a proposition or a premise. That's just a question. It's not asserting anything is true. See what I'm saying? A proposition or a premise asserts something is true. So if I said Jacob has wings, is that a proposition? Yes. Yes, good. It doesn't have to be true. It's just asserting something. It might not be true. It's asserting something. So an argument is a collection of these, a collection of these, in which one, which is going to be called the conclusion, is asserted, is, is being said is true because of the others. So we might have propositions that we lay out, and because of those propositions, this is our conclusion. A very famous one is, let me write this on the board, because I'll try to read this. Um, actually, I'll Okay. So I apologize now. So. You ever had a logic class? This is going to be a familiar sentence. Can you all see this somewhat? Kind of? A little bit? Socrates is a man. All men are mortal, therefore Socrates is mortal. This is an argument. I have two propositions, right? Right? And if you put those two propositions together and add them up, there's a conclusion. The conclusion, therefore Socrates is mortal. Does that make sense? That's an argument. I have propositions or premises. Those premises assert truths. Those truths are suggesting something. What are they suggesting? A conclusion that Socrates is mortal. Does that make sense to everyone? Mm -hmm. Doesn't you gotta say something? We're good there? Okay. That's an argument. Now, and a conclusion, by the way, what's a conclusion? It's what's inferred from or follows from the premises. Now listen to this. Everything that you come to know the new things that you learn in this wonderful life and world, you learn through the process of argumentation. Everything you learn, this is the process that you don't even realize it. All day, every day, through your life, this process is going on, and you're learning. Argumentation is how we come to know things. And there are two types of arguments that we have to become familiar with. Number one, we have deductive arguments. A deductive argument is an argument in which the conclusion is supported by the premises conclusively. In other words, it's an argument in which if I have this premise, and I have this premise, and I add them together, I have to have this conclusion. Just like this. If Socrates is a man, and if all men are mortal, it must be the case that Socrates is mortal. This is a deductive argument. Does it make sense? Yes. That's a deductive argument. This plus this, the plus sign is trying to make equals this. That's deductive. Inductive arguments are not like this. Inductive arguments have a series of premises that are gathered together. And what we can say is that the conclusion has probability, but not certainty. The conclusion follows with probability. So for instance, I could say, um, I have not seen my neighbor for a week. His mail is piling up in his mailbox. He has not answered his phone. His cat is wandering through the, the, the neighborhood. Therefore, my neighbor is dead. Yep. <laughs> yep, absolutely. 
Well, that's not necessarily true, right? You can be on vacation, you can be sick, you can be, who knows? It's not, it's not conclusive, right? Make sense? It's, it's possible, maybe probable, but not conclusive. Conclusive doesn't mean true, necessarily. Doesn't mean it's true, true. necessarily. That's right, that's right. Well, I can have an argument that says, um, pick on Jacob again. All people with red sweatshirts have wings. Jacob has a red sweatshirt, therefore Jacob has wings. That is a perfectly sound deductive argument. It's not true, right? but, it, but it logically is true. In other words, okay? it's, it's a sound, we call it a sound argument. That's not necessarily true. You follow? We good? Any questions so far? Did, did you say that that was a perfectly sound deductive argument or specifically yes. sound yes. inductive? It's the one about Jacob? Yeah. Deductive. It's deductive because I have two premises. And if those premises are true, the conclusion has to be true. If it's true that all people with red sweatshirts have wings, and it's true that Jacob has a red sweatshirt, it has to be true that Jacob has wings. Okay? Yes. But in the definition, it has uh, its premises conclusively. Who's who's to judge what's conclusive and what's not? Now we get to the final piece today. Here's our problem, brothers and sisters. This, but this is this is just a foundational logic, foundational logical thought and critical thinking. You all use it, you all know it, you all do it. Here's the problem. And by the way, it does it produces things that we believe 100% are true. Problem. How do we arrive at our, our premises? Here's the thing: all premises are arrived at inductively. These are all inductively arrived at. For instance, how do you know Socrates is a man? Observation. Make your observation be wrong. How do you know that all men are mortal? Are all men mortal? Yeah? Does everybody, anybody not agree with that? All men mortal? How do you know all men are mortal? What's that? They keep dying. <laughs> Have you observed the instance of all men? No. You'll know all men die. How do you know that? Because what? God said it. Oh, you just introduced something, didn't you? God said it. <laughs> How's the atheist answer? I'm with God. How do they answer then? How do they know that's true? They can't. But they know it. You see? There's a conundrum here. There's a trouble here. How is it then that this whole thing of logic and reason works? How can it be that we have anything conclusive? Now, the thing is, everybody lives like they know things conclusively. Right? You don't run into people and you go, hey, what's your name? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking, like, no one does that. No one does that. No one comes, no one comes out, of the, out, of the, out of the law and goes, oh, my car still exists. Uh, where am I? No one does that. Some people might look like it. My point is, everybody believes, every atheist, everybody believes that ultimately they can know things for sure, but every premise they've ever come up with, the unbeliever, they've come up with inductively. So the system has a flaw. You see the flaw? Good. The system has a flaw. Our system has a flaw too. I don't know about your system. My system doesn't have a flaw, but the unbeliever system does. And all of us, by nature, before we come to Christ, use this system and step forward. So if our, we deny the truth. So our premises are deductive, though. Premises, right? Mine or yours? Mine. Your, are your premises Sorry. deductive? Yeah, they have to be. They're backed up by the Bible, aren't they? You're asking me questions. I'm not sure if you're asking me or not. Okay. Okay, so then my premise is deductive. Unbelievers is inductive. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see the fog you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just get these, these ideas down. We're going to build on it. But you can see already maybe a little bit of a crack in the unbelievers' worldview. Now, listen, we're going to talk a lot about this idea of worldview. This is a term you're going to hear a lot. It's a very important term. 
we'll get into this in some weeks ahead, but understand worldview, the collection of beliefs, and definitions through which we view the world. We all have a worldview. And so we're going to take people collectively, their whole worldview, and we're going to ask, whose worldview works? Does the unbeliever have a worldview that works? And if they have an, a, a worldview that doesn't work, we need to show them that. Mercy, we need to show them that. They're hiding from it. And what we're going to end up saying, brothers and sisters, is that the only worldview that works, the only worldview that is cogent and doesn't contradict itself and makes logical sense is the Christian worldview. The only worldview that makes sense. The only worldview that's defendable. That's where we're going to end up going over 10 weeks. But we start tonight by understanding there are two kinds of arguments, deductive and inductive. Deductive arguments produce conclusive results with certainty. Inductive arguments produce results that are probable but not certain. The problem is all of our deductive arguments are built on inductive premises. Yes. I just wanted to ask you if you can just repeat the definition of worldview. <laughs> <laughs> I have it up to beliefs and then I lost it. <laughs> Your collection of beliefs and definitions through which you view the world. Thank you, Robert. Okay. A little bit of a pause. Are we okay? Everyone's all right? I'm just caught up on like when you say our premises are gathered and that's Yeah. That's what I'm like. You don't understand that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because uh, Morgan essentially kind of asked the question, yeah. right? Because she was saying, wait, so everything you believe is inductive, right? You just asked, are you an omniscient and omnipresent, right? That's essentially what you asked, yes. right? Because that's the only way you have to be all knowing to know the truth for sure. Yes. Because none of us can know the truth for sure because yes. we can't observe everything yes. and we can't be everywhere. You got it. So there is a dilemma that's here. The things that you believe, that you would say you know for sure, that aren't written on the pages of Scripture, how do you know so they're true? Yes. How do you know they're true? How do you know they're true? Now, as a Christian, I think I have an answer. As an unbeliever, I don't think they have an answer. But I know they don't have an answer. And that's what really becomes very... Listen, you got to be careful. This is very shaking for people. Do you share this with somebody? Um, I've seen this happen. You share this with somebody who, who is an atheist, or isn't even sure what their worldview is, and you just run in and start taking apart. You're taking apart how they know things. It's scary. You can mess people up. Somebody's even a little bit fragile, and you start taking all this apart. You can really mess somebody's mind up. That's why I'm saying you have to first. Look, don't go next week or tonight. You're calling your unbelieving friends. You're gonna know who you're talking about. <laughs> don't do that. Let's go through. Six to twelve weeks here together. Yes. So I think for me it's important to think about that. Those inductions can be right, and you can come to a good conclusion from those inductions. Because because we can say something like um, you can see God in nature, nature, blah blah blah. God exists. So yeah. Because those are true. So it doesn't. It's not necessarily like everything induced. It's like, oh, well, it's, it's got to be right. Yeah, so this, there's, this is our biggest point. Yeah. And so when I talk to somebody who's an unbeliever, one of the, one of the first things they'll say when I present this to them is, oh, I, I, that's not right. No, no. I have ways that I come to find truth. They work. Yes, they work. That's the point. But how do you justify the fact that they work in your worldview? You don't have any foundations for saying, but they do work. So everybody, just to kind of let the cat out of the bag, I think this is part of God's common grace to give humanity these tools that work and show them truth. But in order for them to use them and for them to work, they have to assume the Christian God. To assume him. So they want to use what God gives and deny God. And that's what we're going to show them. That's what we're going to expose. Okay? So it takes a, don't, again, this is the, we're not going to cover all that now. That's kind of the direction that we're going. Right now, though, get these things really hammered in your head so that as we talk about it in the weeks ahead, you know exactly what they mean. Right? You don't want to have to be next week and the week after hearing me say the word inductive. You go, wait, what's that mean? Study it. If you know what these words mean. Any other questions? I'm just just emphasize what you stated earlier, which is we're clear with what you need to have yeah. when we're talking on the leaders about this kind of stuff because you know 
if, if I mean, we, we, we can do it in arrogance. And if we do it in arrogance, we forgot. Yes. Who we were. And if you need a reminder, just look at the person in their question. There you go. You know, like, they're victims. First of all, self harm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they just see themselves. Yeah. And we should take great pity because they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know? And Satan is on it. And so we need to take great care at, at trying to bring them out. Like, as, as Paul said, we're just like snatching them from the fire. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's a rescue mission when we do apologetics. Amen, brother. Amen. And I hope we keep that in our minds. The, the scary thing for me as we go through this kind of apologetic is that anybody would hear it and then use it in a, in a you know, in a, in a cage stage. Right yeah, exactly. I don't want to see that happen. I want us to see us use this the way we use the law. We really call people to repent, but to do it in love. So please get these terms down. That sheet I handed you um, is going to be very important for you to understand for the quiz, especially next week. The critical thinking sheet. Are there any questions about that sheet? All right, one more thing to give you. There's one important principle. So what this is showing you is there are certain there are certain principles that everybody has in their mind by which they reason, and they don't know that they're there. And I want to give you one to start thinking about. I think it's on the sheet, right? <clears throat> Principle of non-contradiction. This is what we want to start with. Just get to know this principle. What does it say? It says a statement can't be both true and false. And I gave you a couple of examples. I can't speak English. You're speaking English. Right. You say, nothing I say is true. I don't believe it. Self-defeated. <laughs> That's the principle of non-contradiction. So please uh, have that put to memory as well. Principle of non-contradiction. Like I said, it's a fog. It seems like a lot. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't think this is too much for me. I'll never understand all this. I'll never be able to use this if it's not true. We'll walk through this very slowly. Okay? Are we good? One more thing. Please. If anybody wants to go out and start doing apologetics after this first class, which is fun, right? Make sure you listen carefully. Well, listening is a big deal because if you get, if you mis, misrepresent someone's position, you know, that could, that could destroy your conversation. You're not reading well. Right. So just make sure you're listening. And if you have to, ask the question, are you saying blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Because I've been through all that. Just make sure it is. And can we say this too? If you're going to do that, make sure you know the gospel very well, right? Make sure you have it ready in your mind. I was going to print out. We got. We don't have a copy here, do we? Yeah. We do. Oh, okay. I I've never seen it work. I've never seen it work. Never seen it work. No, copy here. If somebody knows how to use that, we could. A copy here, sorry. We could. <laughs> if we can get that working, I wanted to print the gospel chart for you guys too, just kind of have that. You know, we went over that before. But that's that's the foundation here, right? The gospel. That, that's what we're that's what we're moving towards. We're trying to move from general revelation to special revelation to the gospel. All right. Anybody scared of coming back next week? Liars. I was gonna say everybody <laughs> think admit that this took the I'm scared. Get out of here. Let me take a minute and pray for us and, and pray for those that we will be sharing with. And maybe that the Lord would lay upon us in our minds uh, the thought of somebody who we need to start praying for that we will be sharing with at some point in the week today. Let me pray for us. Father, pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that our desire would be not to exalt self. We would seek to exalt you, the good of your name, and the good of those we love. And so I pray for those that we know that you would start calling to our mind and bringing to our heart those who don't know you, maybe who are resistant and, and even, even at times angry when we mention you. We would start moving our hearts that we would be compassionate, we would have humble, gentle hearts, softened hearts for Start, Lord, to prepare us to be able to share in such a way where we take what you reveal to us so gracefully and wonderfully and show it to them and grant them repentance and belief. Uh, 
Father, above all, help us to understand the gospel better as we gather um, this Sunday and in each week. Put your Son before our eyes that we might see the great Savior who he is and rest more and more in his word. Let us be a people who rest and let us do the good work of resting before the eyes of the world that they would see that we trust in you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Did you, if you did